Well, now the kiddos are excused to go to Sunday school if they would like to. But now that we have teachers, thank you so much for those young ladies stepping up. That is pretty remarkable. Um, okay, so we've been taking a break from our series in Matthew to uh, do a nuts and bolts series. Uh, everybody's been kind of tackling a different thing. We're, we're about wrapping this up and b- about to get back into Matthew. If you want to read ahead, chapter 14 is where we will be uh, uh, pull, you know, putting back in. Uh, today we're, we're going to be talking about, I've been going through the different relationships that God has ordained, um, you know, basically for the good of the individual, the good of the church, and then, you know, his own glory. And I didn't plan it this way, but today we're talking about parenting. So kind of worked out well, nice little segue into this. Two quick comments about this before I start. Uh, if you're not a parent currently, uh, this still applies to you if you're a Christian, because everybody needs to have a, a Christian worldview when it comes to these topics. And maybe you'll be able to give advice to somebody someday. Maybe you'll be a parent yourself someday. So this, this is relevant. The second thing that I need to get out of the way is I just need to confess uh, that I am not even remotely close to anything that resembles a perfect parent. Okay? Um, I've had moments of great success, and I've had moments of great failures, as a, as a dad, sometimes in the same day, because <laughs> that's how it goes. So, um, you know, I had a very arrogant attitude going into parenting. I, uh, I thought that I was going to do things differently, that I, I knew something about this thing, and I was going to do it right. But here's what I discovered on the other side. Our kids are all out of the house now. Uh, I discovered that parenting is much harder than I ever imagined it would be. But I also discovered this. God's grace is much bigger than I ever imagined it could be. And that's good news for a parent, right? So this is not me dispensing pearls of wisdom. It's probably me telling you a lot of the stuff not to do. You know, uh, this is me doing my best to look at what God's word says on the subject and to really kind of drill down on what our goal should be as Christian parents. Parenting is a topic of critical importance today. I googled the, the word parenting just to see what I would get. Over 2 billion results came up. And then I googled Christian parenting, just kind of out of curiosity, 434 million results. So that tells me a couple things. One, parenting's hard, and two, people are looking for answers, Christians too. Now hopefully, we're not looking to Google (laughs) for our answers as much as we are looking at God's word for our answers, because God's given us everything we need for life and godliness, and, and specifically how to do life with God, which is critical. Now as parents, I think we all want to see our kids do well. I can't think of much more in life that will make me feel successful when I look back over my life as to see my kids pursuing God, serving Him, loving Him, and then teaching their kids to do the same. That's what I want to see for sure. The Apostle John in his third epistle said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And that's that's what I want to see as well. I think... um, we all want this for our children, but when we go into parenting, we're, we're relatively unprepared. We kind of have no idea what we're doing. Uh, we, we have ideas of what we think will work. We definitely have those things we'll never do. You remember saying that as a parent? I'll never do these things, and you know, then you, you end up doing them. But, but it ends up being kind of a lot of trial and error, and things rarely go according to plan. So the first step to successful parenting is to snuff your pride and admit that you need help. My pride convinced me that I was going to be a nearly perfect parent who raised nearly perfect children, and I couldn't have been more mistaken. So here's the problem when we start out with that kind of expectation, by the way. If you, if you think that you're going to be a perfect parent that's going to raise perfect children, when that 
starts to not happen and you start to notice that, you're going to have a really hard time admitting it. You're going to be embarrassed to admit it. You're, you're going to find a way to cover it up and make excuses and find a way to shift the blame away from yourself because it can't be me, right? So then this is what you do. I've made excuses for my kids for a long time. You know, I remember thinking, well, it can't be them, right? It's got to be those other kids that have those bad parents must be their fault, or it's got to be the culture we live in. You know, my kid's good. I'm doing a good job, but this culture's messed everything up, or it's got to be the school system or the president, or, you know, you just, you find a way to just get it off of you. And then today, parents have what I didn't have growing up as a parent, or, you know, when I had my kids, this unbearable pressure that's put on them by social media, right? So you see what looks like perfect storybook lives all these parents are portraying on Instagram when you look at these stories and you think, how can I compete with that? Right. Well, let me, let, let me let you in on a little secret. Um, it, it's it's kind of mostly bogus. It's really easy to stage the scene of a perfect family if you try hard. You know, I found that every family out there has some level of dysfunction. Even the families that I thought were perfect, that I envied, um, you know, and thought, well, they're just, you know, they're different than the rest of us. When I really got to know them and their situation, I found out that they had struggles, they had disappointments, they had problems, the same as we all do. And that's because this is part of the human condition, part of being um, in a broken world. And, and basically, it's okay, and, and it's even helpful for us to be honest about this. I, I wish we could do this more often. So let, let me just ask you this real quick, because I want um, when to, you, when you read your Bible... I want you to think about this as you've read through it. Do you, do you find um, perfect parents who raise perfect kids? Like when you just go through, the, is this what you see over and over again in the Bible? No, <laughs> you, you see a pretty healthy dose of dysfunction. I just don't think we, we think that way sometimes. But let's just start at the beginning, shall we? Let's look at Adam and Eve. Let's think about their Instagram story. You know, they've got the, they're both sitting in here, you know, like living in paradise. And you see Abel kind of over there. And in the background, you see Cain with a rock over his head. Okay, that went bad, right? Pretty quickly it went bad. Think of Abraham. Um, he had Ishmael and, and Isaac that ended up becoming two warring nations. Think about um, his kid. Isaac had two twins, Jacob and Esau. Again, you know, the heel grabber who steals the inheritance from his brother and tricks him and all that kind of stuff. And then you, then you think about Jacob's kids. I mean, these are just the, these are the ones that God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, I'm associating myself with these guys. Let's just, you know, right there. Jacob had 11 sons uh, who 11 of them decided to, to throw their brother in a hole, sell him to be a slave, and then go home and lie to their dad and say, he's dead, he's gone. They got rid of their brother, right? So, you know, and then, of course, you've got King David. Let's not forget King David because, you know, he's another uh, a biggie. Um, his son Absalom plotted to kill him and take over the throne. So, you know, the next time you're having like a, your kid throw a fit in the, in the checkout line, give yourself a little grace, you know. It's, it's, you know, my kids didn't try to kill me and take over the household. Um, they might have plotted it, but they, didn't, they weren't successful. I don't know. You know, I can only think of one set of parents in the Bible who were flawlessly successful. And that would be Mary and Joseph. And that kind of doesn't count because their son was God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then when you look at the rest of the kids, I, I think it, it went poorly from there as well, just like us. So, so the Bible consistently shows us dysfunctional families that look a lot like our own family. So what should our expectation as parents be? Perfection? No. Parenting is really hard. We can hardly manage our own life, let alone 
you know, take care of some little guy that, you know, is counting on us now. You would think as difficult as parenting is, they would make you pass a course or something, have some kind of certificate. They let anybody do this, right? So you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And your kids are going to make a lot of mistakes. They're not going to be perfect. Um, You know, remember where they came from. Not to be mean, but they came from you. (laughs) And you guys have something in common, right? You're both sinners in need of a savior. You're a big sinner. They're a little sinner. But that's the truth. So here's the thing. We need a hero to save us and to save our families. And praise God, he's given us one, right? If you aren't looking to that hero for help and, and relying completely on him, you're going to have a really difficult time as a parent. We need to be like Solomon. You remember when he was given the task of, of basically leading God's people and God said, you can have anything you want. What did he pick? He said, wisdom. I need wisdom. As parents, you need to do the same thing. You need to ask God for wisdom. You need to ask him for grace. And here's the cool thing. It tells us in James 1.5 that he'll give it to us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. That means just a bunch of it and without reproach. He won't make you feel bad for asking. He knows you need it. So as a parent, you need help. But the good news is you have help. You have God himself. You have his spirit. You have his word and you have his people. And I love this. You know, we need to take full advantage of all of these things. When you look around this room, I hope that parents see like a team. There's that old saying about it takes a village. I hope you see brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandparents. You know, this is the collective wisdom that's in this room of those who have kind of been there and done that and, and, and got through to the other side. It's, it's fantastic. We need to take advantage of that. There's people here that, that navigated parenting. They'll be able to tell you what to do. They'll also be able to tell you what not to do. You, know, you get both of those. You've also got people in here that are willing to pray for your family. I, I love, I'm so humbled when I find out that people have been praying for my kids. When somebody tells me that, it's, it's kind of like, you pray, you're praying for my family and for my kids? What a huge thing to have. And, and then, of course, if you're willing to be vulnerable and ask for help, there's so many people that are willing to help you, uh, to, to be there for you, to, you know, to have your back. And so um, I'm so excited about some of the things that are getting ready to take off right now because more and more of this is going to be happening. And we, we're not going to feel like we're alone in this because we're not. That's good news. So that covers the expectations of parenting. What are the goals of parenting? Well, it definitely includes the essentials, right? Things like providing food and clothes and care and shelter. We get that. It also includes helping our kids um, with their physical, emotional, cognitive, and social development in order to prepare them, you know, for life on their own as adults. We've got to get them to that point. Uh, I think everybody knows that's what's expected as as parents. That's kind of the the bare minimum. But then you've got countless goals and ideas that other people are are just kind of willing to foist on you as well. And they're passionate about these things, right? They're, they're, They're more than happy to tell you all the things you should do as a parent. And, um, and, and this is weird to me that this is an area where people get really upset about judgmental people. But when it comes to parenting, it seems like you get a pass here. You can walk up to anybody like you're an expert and say, you're doing it all wrong. This is what you need to be doing. I mean, people do this all the time. Just freely dispense their, their judgment on you as a parent. I don't know why we do this, but it, we do. Um, here's the thing, though. There are so many differences about how people go about parenting, and a lot of them simply come down to personal preferences and personal convictions and not necessarily biblical ones. So everybody has family differences. I remember, you know, growing up, we ate dinner at 5.30. It was a four-course meal. It had meat and potatoes every time, right? That's what I think is right. That's, That's normal. 
I'm not going to vary. I'm not going to vary from that. Then I meet Joy's family. I mean, dinner might be at six, maybe seven, maybe eight. Who cares? You know, there's no priority here. What are we going to eat? I don't know. Let's open a can of this. Let's grab this from the garden. Let's throw this on the table. Is there going to be meat? Not necessarily. It's like, what? What is, you know, who's running the show here? This is, here's the thing though. Healthy, strong, well-nourished kids. I mean, really, it wasn't like a right and wrong thing, even though it felt that way to me. It still kind of does. I don't know if you picked up on that, but meat and potatoes. There are cultural differences that we don't take into account. If you're born in America, you know, you have a certain way of thinking about raising kids. A kid raised in Africa or a foreign place like Africa or China or California, you know, it's going <laughs> to... Sorry. And... Ooh. She... Where are most of you guys from? Wow. Like avocado toast. That's going to seem normal to some people. And Anyway, there's, there's going to be cultural differences. What's expected in, in different countries and stuff like that. It's not going to be right or wrong type stuff. And then, if you haven't noticed, there are generational differences. If you have an older, you know, grandparents or parents, and then there's younger families like that. I mean, the old people are saying there's no school like the old school. This is the way you do it. And there is no other way to do it, right? And so you, you probably experienced that. Different doesn't necessarily mean wrong. It's very easy for us to bow to the pressure of our family, our peers, our church members about what we must do as parents. And this starts right away. I don't know if you guys, like when they're a little baby and somebody will walk up to you and said, that's what you're feeding them? You can't use that kind of formula. You're not using fresh. You, you know, it's just, and it's like, well, they're, they seem to be healthy. It doesn't matter. You're not doing it the way I do it, so you're wrong. Your sleep schedule. Oh my goodness. You want to get a fight going? Bring up the subject of sleep schedules in front of a group of moms, man. It'll get crazy quick. That kind of stuff. Potty training, on and on. And it moves into adolescence. Like, you let your kid watch that. You let them play with, you know, those things. You let them, it, it's just crazy. Um, how they're schooled, how you should discipline, on and on it goes. And for, for a parent, that can become very overwhelming very quick. So it's important to point out that there are many different parenting styles, and the Bible gives us some room about how we go about this. God has given you authority over your home, and you have freedom, okay? But pay attention to the fruit that's coming out, right? If you're saying, hey, my kids can watch this and they can watch that, and, and then you, you know, you're watching violent behavior and you're seeing another set of families that's like, we don't let them do any of that and they're, you know, they're not hitting each other over the head, take note. Maybe change things up. I mean, but pay attention to the fruit. And then discover what God has laid out in his word for us. Um, it's important to us to focus on what he thinks is important as parents more than all this other stuff. Does that, could that be helpful? Sure. But what really matters is what God wants. And this is so important because parents can have a lot of goals in mind for their children, but we need to make sure they align with what God's goals are for your children. So when I think of common goals we have for our, for our kids, several things come to mind, and a lot of them seem like perfectly good things. So I want my kids to be well-mannered, to be good citizens, hardworking, get a good education, have a fulfilling career, make lots of money, have a good family, and be happy and successful. Sounds like a really good set of goals, doesn't it? You know what? we have in common there, non-Christians have the same set of goals for their kids. You know what's missing? God. God's missing, right? So do these things matter all that much if God is excluded, right? If they, if they just, is it success if they crush it in the world and then spend eternity without God? No. So I would argue that 
the goal in Christian parenting is different. And it actually supersedes all those things because if the goals that are important to God are met, the rest of the stuff kind of works itself out. So what are the main goals that we should have for our kids? What should we work toward as Christian parents? I'm going to give you three things. First one is our kids should know their God. Second one is they should know their identity. And the third one is that they should know their purpose. If we focus on these things in the lives of our kids, we will set them up well for this life and for the life to come. So the first one is know their God. How do we introduce our children to our amazing God so that they, they know his character, they know his attributes, and they know his love for them? Deuteronomy 6 talks about the importance of this by telling God's people how they're supposed to incorporate God into, into their life in an everyday way. And it says this in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What all does that cover? Right? <laughs> that's, that's pretty much, yeah, if you're awake and your kids are with you, you're on duty, right? That's how it goes. God is supposed to be a, a, a part of the daily fabric of our lives. And this doesn't have to be boring. I, you know, again, I just, I, I, I kind of made it boring. I'll be honest. I mean, there's this idea of like, okay, we're going to all gather in the living room. I have a PowerPoint presentation. To, does anybody see my laser pen? We're going to talk about the omnipotence of God tonight. It doesn't have to be that way. Your kids probably aren't going to get super excited about that. But what if you're just in the backyard and you see a cool looking bird and you get to point to God as our creator and talk about, look what he's made. Look at this, look at that. You're always kind of, you know, get them excited about that. What if you're, you're bragging about God in front of them in the way that he's our protector or our provider? Even like when we pray before a meal, you know how weird we make that as Christians for no reason at all? What are we doing? We're just saying, hey, kids, God provided this for us. Who wants to thank him tonight? I bet they'll, they'll get excited. I want to thank him. Of course we do. You know, God is gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. He's patient. He's loving. We get to brag about these things all the time with our kids and point out these opportunities when they come up. And, and, and make sure your kid knows the story of the Bible, the big story of the Bible, because people get this so wrong. I mean, people think the story of the Bible is that God doesn't like you very much. He's mad and he's coming for you. And you better find a way. To, it's like, you know, you better not you know, I can't think of that thing. Better not shout. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why God's coming to town. You better get it together or you're in trouble. That's what, that's what people think the big story of the Bible is. And that's not the big story of the Bible. The big story of the Bible comes down to creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And, and our kids need to be excited about this story. So they need to know that God created the world so good. And, and he made it to where men and women would dwell with him in this wonderful, perfect place. But in our selfishness and our sin, we turned away from God and, and we decided we wanted to do our own thing. And when we did that, sin entered the world. We broke everything in his good creation. And that's when death entered and that's when sin entered and disease and all the bad things that we don't like about the world. We did that. And God could have just said, you know what? Fine. You guys have it your way and walked away from it. But he didn't. He loved us so much that he, he, he went on a rescue mission to save us. And so he sent his son who came as a little baby to become part of our lives. And, and Jesus came and lived this perfect life that pleased God. And then he went to the cross where, where at the cross he fixed everything that went wrong by taking our place and paying the penalty to fix all that we broke. And now not only that, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he's ascended to the Father and he's going to prepare a place for us. When we get to this kingdom, everything's gonna be made right again. I mean, this is better than an Avengers story because it's true. Our kids get excited about those stories. This is a better story and it's real. And we need to have that just constantly 
like we would read them a story. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of God's redemption. We need to be excited about it. Make sure they know their God. The, the next one is to make sure they know their identity. And this is an area of great concern today because kids don't know their identity and they're trying to find it and they're looking in goofy places that leave them unsatisfied and confused and it's a mess. Our kids need to know that they are loved by the one who made them. Their creator knows them and loves them and created them with intention and purpose. They are unique and incredibly special. You know, we're made in his image and we're meant to reflect his glory to the world. And so that just means, you, you know how much value you have as part of his creation, as, part of, as, as one of his, uh, the, the people he's made? You matter. And our kids need to know how special they are. We're not clumps of cells. We're not a product of random evolution. We're not meaningless. And, and, and kids don't know this. And then for those of us who have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, it gets even better because we're kingdom people. We've been adopted into God's family. We get to sit at his family table. He's, he's given us robes of righteousness to put on. I mean, it's, it's amazing. We've been washed clean by Jesus Christ and are completely forgiven. I wish as a dad, this is where I could have a do-over because rather than focusing on this stuff, I focused on performance. I, f- I focused on behavior. And, and basically, I taught my kids that if you want to make me happy and if you want to make God happy, you, be, you better be good and obedient. And that's how it's done. And, and, and that's, that's wrong. That's not the gospel. I can't even do that. How do I expect them to do that? I also taught them that Christians are the good people and non-Christians are the bad people. Us versus them. I created this paradigm. Do you know what the difference is between a Christian and a non-Christian? Jesus. <laughs> that's the difference. <laughs> if there is anything good and righteous about you, it didn't come from you. It came from him. It's essential that our kids understand their identity in Christ or it's going to turn into this futile effort to gain God's approval by being righteous and doing good things. Have you ever tried that out? It's a hard program. And, and you're going to end up with two things. You're either going to end up filled with pride or filled with despair. Filled with pride because you think you did it. You know, and if you've ever seen a kid like that that thinks they're righteous, thinks they're like, they're just, you know, it's like, you little brat. You, they think they're really good. I've done it. I'm righteous. I'm great. And they walk around with a smug attitude. That's, that's one extreme. And then the other extreme, of course, is filled with despair because you can't do it. And you know you can't do it. So when it comes to God's approval, we can only get that through Christ. He makes us righteous and blameless through his atoning work on the cross. We can't produce any of that on our own, which means we're no better than anyone else and we should have great compassion for those who don't yet know Jesus and his amazing redemptive work. And we should make sure to do everything we can to make sure they do know it. So our identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he's done. And there's so much security in that when we have it. And then the, the last one is that they know their purpose. Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. <laughs> right? And this isn't just true for adults, it's true for kids too. So what does it mean to glorify God? It means to make him famous, to make him known. You know, as Christians who have been born from above and filled with his spirit, we are to reflect God's love and goodness to those around us. So we, we often talk about the hands being the hands and feet of Jesus, and this is what it's, what it's referring to. But the goal of this is, is so that people can be introduced to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That, that's the point. So, it, you know, as a parent, you have to ask yourself, do you want your kids to have a passion for God? Well, do you have a passion for God? Do you want your kids 
to place their faith and trust in God? Do they see you doing it? Because the monkey see, monkey do thing is real. Uh, They're watching you. So if you want them to carry the torch of the gospel to their kids and to the next generation, I mean, how important is that for us as Christians? That, that this torch gets passed. And, and half the time we're handing them something that's barely going. It's like, is that a flame? I can't tell. You know, we need to hand them a torch that's burning bright that they can, that they can take and, and, and hand to the next generation. This is so important for parents. And so that means we need to model for them what it means to be a Christian, a real Christian. And we need to train them. Uh, we need to disciple them as followers of Christ so that they, they can glorify their God. So when we talk about training or um, you know, our children, uh, the major aspect of this is discipline. And discipline has become like a dirty word for some reason. Uh, people hear that word, and I think because they've seen it in such a sinful way, when you hear it, it just almost makes you kind of cringe. Discipline is not losing your temper. It's not freaking out. It's not being abusive or yelling at your kids. There isn't anything God-honoring in those things. Discipline is not meant to be punitive or vindictive. That's not why we're doing it. It's meant to be corrective and to help our kids grow into the likeness and image of Christ. So it involves training, correction, instruction, guidance, those kinds of things. So when you hear the word discipline, think discipling, because that's what you're doing. You're discipling your children, right? And as parents, because this has become a controversial thing in our day and age, like everything else has, you need to decide how you're going to discipline. You need to be united front. What discipline, you know, what's that going to look like in our home? And, and how are we going to be able to do it consistently as a united front? I think it's important to keep in mind every kid is different. Um, you know, we had five, and it was funny how one of them, just, just from a disappointed glance, they would, they would completely buckle and fall into line, you know, with what we wanted. Uh, with some, it took like solitary confinement. You know, you had to put them in their room for a long period of time or whatever, and then they would. And then some of them, we had to call in the National Guard and be like, you got to, <laughs> something, you guys have to do something here. Um, you know, the goal is to find an effective and God-honoring form of, of discipline that actually f- suits your child's temperament. So in, in Proverbs 22, 6, you guys know this verse, train up your child in the way they should go, okay? That, that means that there's a way that, that they're going to want to go. They have a certain bent. They have a certain kind of... Um, so for instance, like I'm an introvert. If you send me to my room for three hours, you haven't punished me at all. That's, the, that's like my favorite thing to do is go and be by myself somewhere. So that's great. You do that to an extrovert, you have just ruined their life because they want to be where the people are and where the action is. So pay attention to that kind of stuff, right? Regardless of the method you choose to use, make sure you do it. Because most parents today have given up on discipline. They seem helpless to, to get their kids to obey, and that means their kids are the ones running the show, and they're the ones in charge. And that's not the way God intended it. Parents have to give in to their children just to avoid conflict and get through the day half the time, and that's a sad thing to see. Scriptures make it clear God expects the parents to be in charge of the kids, not the other way around. So it might be easier to give in to your children now and, and, and uh, to give them whatever they want. And, um, but eventually, you know what it's going to lead to? <laughs> a very rotten adult who's used to getting their way all the time, and they're going to struggle. So the best thing you can do for them is discipline them early and often. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen says, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. So I'm going to give you quick uh, practical kind of guide guidelines, eight of them. Um, I added one from last week because it popped into my head. So you guys get a bonus point, but they're quick um, as far as like uh, discipline goes. First one is 
make sure your kids know the house rules. Um, it, it, it's kind of rude to expect or wrong to expect them to know how they're supposed to you know, live and what they're supposed to do if you haven't made it clear to them. So it, it don't have too many unrealistic ones. I'm like, okay, I can think of like 45 of them I want to put on the fridge right now. You know, try to keep it manageable and make them reasonable. So we had stuff like, don't lie. If you lie, if you yell, if you disrespect your mom, I mean, we had certain things that were just like, these were all deal breakers. Uh, when those things happen, there's this thing called first-time obedience that parents should employ. And that means that when it happens, you say, oh, whoa, did you, just, did you just disrespect your mom? Okay, then we're coming over here and we're dealing with that. You don't warn them six or seven times and say, if you do that again with these empty threats, you take care of it right then and there. And they already know the rules, so they're expecting it, okay? So the first one is have some house rules, make sure they know what they are. Second one is really important, never discipline when you're angry. Um, and, and this goes back to that same idea of first-time obedience because what happens, this is the way it works. I'm in my chair, I'm watching my, you know, the game or whatever I'm doing, and they're doing something that's irritating me, and I say, hey, knock that off over there. And then I, I go back to my thing, and then I see that they're doing it again. Well, after 27 times of that, I'm jumping up out of my chair ready to take heads because I've, I've lost my cool at that point. That's not the way you're supposed to do it. If I would have gotten up right at the beginning, I'm not mad, I'm not, I haven't lost my cool, you deal with it then. That's what needs to happen. Remember, Jesus is in the room with you. He's watching what you do, and your kids are learning what to do to their kids by what you do to them. So it's very important you don't ever discipline angry. That might mean you need to say, hey, you go to your corner, I'm going to go to my room, and I'm going to breathe for a minute, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get myself squared away before I come in and talk to you. But Make sure you get your heart prepared beforehand. Second, the third one is this. Try not to discipline or correct your children in front of people in a way that humiliates them. Uh, it's so easy to just deal with it, you know, when you see it in front of people. But Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And this is one of those areas where you, if, you, if you humiliate your kid, um, it's demeaning to them. Not supposed to do it that way. Number four, when a police officer pulls you over, what does he ask you? Do you know why I pulled you over today? Right? Why does he do that? Because he wants to know if he, you have any idea of the offense that, you know, you, whatever it is, the law you broke or whatever. This is something we need to, we don't need to ask our kids why we pulled them over, but, but find out if they know what they did. Give them an opportunity to confess. That's something that as, as Christians, we're supposed to confess our sin to God. That just means agree with them. Agree that what we did was wrong. Give your, your kids an opportunity to confess, to ask forgiveness of God and whoever they offended, and then... Um, you know, move on further. Make sure that they know what, what's going on. Number five, our discipline should always target the heart, not necessarily the behavior. Because the behavior is easy to target. You see that, and it's easy to go after that. But why? Why did they do what they did? Um, you know, I, I just even like, we were at, a, at the lake this week with some family members, and there was somebody that was really having a hard time. It wasn't even a kid. I'm not going to go into detail. But they were having a really hard time, and their behavior was showing it. And I had to stop and go, okay, wait a second. What's going on here? What's the, you know, and when you stop and really think about what's going on, it's like, okay, I can see where this is, why this is happening and where it's coming from. It gives you more compassion, more understanding, and you're able to deal with it in a different way, get to the heart of the real issue. Number six, discipline should always point our kids to the gospel as the answer to their sin. Um, this is so important. You know, Jesus came to pay for our sins and to enable us to walk in newness of life. And our kids need to know that every time. That, that there's redemption for what they've done, that there's forgiveness for what they've done in Christ. So the gospel is, is always got to be present in what we're doing. Um, number seven, we need to have real consequences 
you know, when, when things go bad, you, you can't always just say, oh, no big deal, no big deal. No, you know, can't just be grace, 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 grace all the time. They need to have consequences to make it effective. But don't forget to mix grace in, right? Can you, can you imagine if you did something terrible and your parents came in and said, you know what, this time, I'm not going to punish you. You deserve to be punished, but this time I'm not going to. And, and, then ex- and then use it as another gospel example of, of what Christ did for us. And number eight, make sure that the discipline wipes out the offense. Um, just like Jesus removes our penalty, as far as the east is from the west, they, that needs to happen. So once it's been dealt with, and pr- you prayed, you finished, you, then you don't bring it up. You don't say, well, earlier today when you were doing that, or I'm not going to hug you, or you, know, I'm, you don't bring it up. <laughs> You treat them the way God treats you regarding your sin. If done correctly, discipline should make your kid feel loved by you. That's the goal, that they would, they would know without a shadow of a doubt, my mom and dad love me. In the same way Hebrews says that a father, that, you know, God the Father disciplines us because we're really his kids, they should understand that. I matter to my parents so much and they care so much about me that they're not going to let me get away with this. That, that should be evident to them. So the task of discipline is hard work. Some days it feels like it's all we do takes intentional effort, but if we love our kids, we will be diligent to discipline. Uh, we need to start right away. You know, it, it doesn't, you always think oh, I'll get to it eventually. No, they're, they're sinners from day one. <laughs> I can remember, you know, I remember my son one time, uh, Zane, I'll just call out Zane so you don't feel bad. Uh, he was, he couldn't even talk yet. And he was, he was playing with a plant. And I said, Zane, don't touch that plant. And he had his hand there and he looked at me and he went, I mean, just like stared me down as he grabbed it. Like, and I thought, oh, this isn't like, uh, there's no, there was no misunderstanding about what was going on there. It's like, you're a vile, depraved, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, you are rotten to the core, but I know where he got it from. So you have to start from, you know, the, this is a huge commitment because it's going to go on for at least 20 years per child and maybe 30, you know, some of you are going 40. Can I hear 50? You know, it, it, it goes for a while. Um, but it's your responsibility. And a parent who is rarely around their kids or completely disengaged when they are is going to have a really difficult time helping them to know their God, know their identity, and know their purpose. This is a job God has given to you. It's a privilege and a responsibility that's for you. So I know it can be hard. I know sometimes you both work. I know you're exhausted. Uh, but in spite of these challenges, we need to make every effort to be involved in the lives of our kids. And that might mean you make some adjustments to the things that are important to you so that you can do what's important to God. Um, it goes by so fast. I mean, I, I, can, I could probably just get an amen from several parents right now. It goes by so fast. Make the most of the time God has given you. It's precious. Value it and use it to the utmost. Um, and don't underestimate the, the role of a mom and dad. I don't know how many of you guys were raised by a godly mom. Um, I look at the, you know, the role that my wife has played in our kids. She's their champion. She's their, I mean, she just like, I love the way she interacts with them. They know that they're loved, they, the importance of that role she has. And, and if you've been raised by a godly mom, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't replace that. You can't put a price on that. So valuable. But dad, you might be surprised to know that according to the stats, your role in that family is even more important in the sense that like the DOG, the Department of Justice, Jay, compile these stats of a, a, I don't know, DOG, that's a dog, (laughs) different, different, you're not supposed to laugh at my mistakes. Uh, I had it written out, I just thought I'd abbreviate to save time, now I'm wasting time. The stats though, as far as like kids that that are raised in fatherless homes, it's, it's astounding to see all the ways that they go off the rails. I mean, it's nuts. So dads, that should, that should be sobering to you. How important is your role in the involvement 
of the lives of your kids. It's huge. Ephesians 6 says this. It's funny, we don't read, you know, we read past it, but it says fathers are to bring up their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. When you, when you would ask most people, who's supposed to bring up the kids? Most guys would say, oh, the, the, the mom, the wife. According to the scripture, dad, you got an active role to play here. You're the spiritual leader of the home. And if you don't take this lead, th- this, is, this is not gonna go well for your family. And I would say this is exactly what's happened to the church. So many dads have dropped the ball in this area. And what happens when dad has no spiritual interest or no spiritual leadership and only the mom does, and that happens a lot, what's going to happen is your son is going to assume, well, this isn't masculine to be a Christian, so I'm not going to do it. And your daughter's going to marry somebody just like dad, because that's what they do. So she's going to find some Yahoo out there that has no interest in the Lord too, right? This is critical and you get one shot at it. So, you know, it's time to step up. As I already mentioned, parenting is hard, but you've been given help. God's spirit, God's word, God's people. One thing I didn't mention because it's kind of like a secret weapon and that's prayer. This is like, you know how you can hide vegetables in your kid's food and they don't even know what's happening? That's what prayer is, right? You can, you can literally be praying behind their backs all the time. And I wish that I, I could say that Joy and I went here first every time, but usually it was like the last resort. It's like, well, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what else to do. You got any ideas? It's like, maybe we should pray. It's like, yes. And, and when we did, we would almost always see immediate and decisive results. Because again, we're relying on God, not ourselves. So I wish we would have spent more time on our knees. We're, we're, we're making up for it now. <laughs> um, some of you guys have children that have gone astray and you don't know what's going to happen. Um, I would just remind you of God's faithfulness, um, you know, and, and, and remind you to keep praying. You know, a wise man once said, never give up, never surrender. <laughs> keep praying. Uh, get other people involved. I mean, we could do like a, a full-on air assault here at the church for, for the kids that are out there um, that have gone astray and they won't know what hit them, I hope. But I love that God promised if I started a work, I'll complete it. And I, I can think of evidences in some of my kids that I know he started a work and I'm holding on to that promise that he'll be faithful there. So as I said before, parenting is much harder than I imagined it would be, but God's grace is bigger than I imagined it would be. And, and some of you are like me, you've made so many mistakes. Um, you know you've failed. I would say if that's happened, confess it to God and confess it to your kids too. I've had to go to each one of my kids and say, I'm sorry for the way I did this. And it was humbling, but it was so good for me and for them. Um, it's never too late to do that. Um, and just, just know that it's amazing what God's grace can repair. When we lived in a house in, in Bend, uh, one time uh, we were taken out of bathroom vanity and I thought I would just you know do this project on my own. And in tearing it out, I ended up tearing out a huge chunk of wall by mistake. And it was bad. I mean, it was very obvious. And so I did what anybody without that kind of talent did. I found a, a cool plaque with a neat saying on it and I set it over the, the hole. And I thought, there, perfect, right? That's my attempt at fixing things. Not great. Well, we knew a guy who was a master drywall guy and we asked him to come over and he came over and, and in no time at all, he put a new piece in there, he mudded it, he sanded it, he painted it. And it was like, it didn't happen. And this is what God's grace is like. You might have left some big holes, some big gaps, some chasms, right? Some craters in your kids' lives. Ask God to fill it in with his grace. And he will. So if you need some encouragement, parents, Lamentations 3 says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Amen? Well, we're, we're reminded of 
his faithfulness and his grace in no other place like this table that's set for us right now. When we get to remember that God didn't give us what we deserved, but he gave us grace instead. And it came at a very costly price to his son. So we're going to have communion now together as a church. Um, If you're new here, we just come up and we take the elements and then we go back. You can pray with your family. You take them as you as you want to and then we'll we'll sing a song at the end but let's let's close in prayer father we thank you so much for um the privilege of being a parent for those of us that are uh we we pray lord that we would um take it seriously and and rely on you completely thank you for your grace thank you for for loving us more than that we can imagine and for loving our kids more than we can imagine if there are any kids out there right now that we have in mind that are kind of gone astray we just pray that you would track them down by your spirit and that you would save them to the uttermost. And Lord, as we get to remember now what you've done for us at this table, Lord, we thank you for the broken body of our Lord Christ. We thank you for his blood shed for us. We thank you that there is grace for us in this. You're so good to us, Lord, and and we don't deserve it. We thank you that Jesus was willing to go and be our substitute, and that by placing our faith in this, we can have life with you. We ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name.